Hi friend, if you love the information you hear in the podcast, then you will love the free mini series of videos that I've put together just for you. It's all about the biblical blueprint for health and teaches you exact principles I've taught to thousands of Christian women that result in weight loss, better sleep, increased energy, clearer skin, and sharper brains. You can go to thechristiannutritionist.com slash miniseries to grab this free set of short, powerful teachings that will show you how to create better health God's way. It's at thechristiannutritionist.com slash miniseries. Go check it out now. Hi, I'm Chelsea, the Christian Nutritionist. Welcome to the Christian Health Club podcast. We are here to fire you up in spirit, mind, and body so that you can get out into the world and be everything God created you to be. Welcome to the club. Here we go. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to the club. How are you today? We are going to talk about full moon cleanses because they are such a hot topic lately, especially because of the super moons that we're having this month. In fact, there will be a super moon this week. If you're listening to the podcast in real time, there will be a rare super blue moon the last uh, few days of August. What makes a full moon a super moon is that its orbit is closer to the earth than usual, and so it makes it appear bigger and brighter. What makes a full moon a blue moon has nothing to do with the color, but the fact that there's a second full moon in one month. So this month in August, there was a super moon, a full moon on August the 1st, and there's another full moon on August the 30th, um, both super moons uh, to boot. So that's pretty cool. Um, but the the blue moon having two full moons in one month is pretty rare. And so that's where we get the saying once in a blue moon. Pretty cool, right? The other reason I wanted to do this podcast is because I've read up more on why parasites are more active during a full moon. I came across something in a book and I was like, oh, that makes so much sense, especially with what I've learned about quantum biology. You know, I've heard for years and I've shared for years that parasites are more active during the full moon. But frankly, I wasn't exactly sure why you know, except to say they like to come out and party (laughs) during that time. I mean, the light is obviously brighter. And generally, life moves more with light. You know, when I think of the animals at the ranch, they're much more active at night, they're moving around more during a full moon than a new moon. But when it comes to parasites, you wouldn't necessarily think that applies to them, right? They're kind of all up in your dark body. But um, I've got some interesting things to share about why they perk up during full moons. And then I feel like talking about the moon in general is long overdue because we talk so much about the sun. But you know, it's cool. Um, And we know that the moon is actually a reflection of the sun, right? The moon in and of itself is not you know, does not glow. It's not a light in and of itself. It simply reflects the light coming from the sun. And I love this when we think about it in a spiritual sense, because that's what we should be a light that reflects the sun. 
We need to be super moons for Jesus, right? I love that. So my husband has used the farmer's almanac for years to decide when the best time is to work the cattle, and that is based on the moon. Santa actually puts a new farmer's almanac in my husband's stocking every year, that along with a Toblerone chocolate bar, because that's one of his favorites. And that's all he gets in his stocking, a farmer's almanac and a Toblerone bar. But the reason he consults the farmer's almanac is because apparently when you time it right, the, uh, the cattle will bleed less at certain times of the month over others. So if it's cutting time, which means castration time, um, you can time it so the calves don't bleed as much. And that is certainly something you'd want to minimize if you could. Y'all, if you'd have told me growing up that one day I'd be standing out in the hot, dusty pens while my cowboy husband cuts off calf balls, I would have laughed in your face or maybe cried in your face. But that's where we are. Anyway, you want to schedule your castrating and your dehorning or when you cut their horns when the moon is waning, which means, you know, when it's getting smaller, leaning toward that new moon when there's no light or less light, as opposed to a waxing moon, which is getting bigger and brighter as it leads toward a full moon. Make sense? So there's actually a whole best days calendar uh, that you can find in the farmer's almanac that tells you the best days of the month to like cut your hair, start a diet, have dental care, get married, quit smoking, all based on the phases of the moon. It is actually quite fascinating. <laughs> I will link, I'll put a link in the show notes so you can uh, check it out. But you can think of the waxing moon as a time for promoting growth, getting bigger, you know, as the moon gets bigger toward a full moon, and the waning moon as a good time to reduce, get smaller, and minimize. Now, when we think of the moon, there's always been this question and keen interest into whether or not the moon affects our menstrual cycle. In ancient Greece, physicians believed that the moon and the monthly menstrual cycle were linked, and a lot of ancient cultures believe the same. The timing makes sense, considering that the average menstrual cycle lasts about as long as the average lunar cycle, which is 29 days. It's believed that the, sp- the cycle is supposed to sync up, starting with having your period during the new moon, and then building up toward ovulation during a full moon which is, you know, a very traditional time for mating in the animal and the human world. I can tell you that my ovulation has been fairly synced up with the full moon over the last few years. And hmm, how do I put this? Um, I've been feeling it. You know what I mean? (laughs) So yeah, that's been interesting. And um, I don't know, now that I've had some perimenopause thing that things that are throwing that off a little, but, um, but yeah, but my cycle has really has synced up with, um, with that traditional kind of moon cycle. And I, I think that's the way it's meant to be. Now, um, what's interesting is that there are a few studies from back in the 1970s and 80s that show a link between the synchrony of the menstrual cycle and the lunar cycle. And even one that found that women who begin their cycle on the new moon had a greater chance of becoming pregnant. But more recent studies show that there is no link. And that's really where science stands on it today. Interestingly, though, there is one study that suggests that menstrual cycles may have once been synchronized with the lunar cycle, but that artificial light and modern lifestyles have disrupted that link. 
And I think that is right on. I think that is the issue. You know, we are always talking about light here. That's why I'm always telling you to get your light right, get in the morning sunlight, get your hormones right to get synced up for the day. All of that is informing your brain about timing and such. So I just do not think that is off base at all. Knowing I was going to talk about this topic, I pulled out my copy of The Red Tent and started reading it again. Have you read that book? It just goes right along with this topic. Um, It's historical fiction. It's biblical historical fiction, which I love to read because you get so much cool insight about foods and customs. And so The Red Tent is all about Leah and Rachel, you know, the wives of Jacob, and uses them as a backdrop to tell the story of how women kind of went into a time of isolation together during their cycles, which started with the new moon. That's when they all cycled at the same time at the new moon. Um, And so you, this book just has kind of some interesting details, like, you know, it would reference using fennel seed as a kind of contraception and, and finding mandrakes to promote fertility. And I just eat up details like that. I think it's just so fascinating to me. So i recommend that book if you've never read it. Um, But, um, you know, this was not an unusual practice for women to cycle at the same time and to retreat to a place together until they had completed the cycle. Of course, biblically, they would have been um, considered unclean during this time. And it was not uncommon for women in indigenous cultures to do something similar. Um, They called it their moon time. It was a time of rest and bonding with other women and there were cleansing rituals involved. Um, And so I don't think it's far-fetched to believe, um, you know, to believe this and thinking that, you know, our menstrual cycle could sync up with our lunar cycle or one time that it did, you know, considering the fact um, of how strongly the moon affects the pool of water, right? So the lunar cycles affect the ocean tides, right? We know that. And since we are 65 to 70% water, I just don't think it's unreasonable to think that the moon could affect our crimson tide, (laughs) you know, riding the crimson wave. So now what a full moon also affects is the electromagnetic activity of the earth. And this is what I read that was such an aha moment for me when it comes to parasites and why they're more charged up. It's because we're more charged up. There is an increase in electrical activity in the atmosphere during a full moon. And because we're electric beings, this affects our bodies. You've probably heard teachers, you know, say, oh my gosh, the kids are acting crazy. Must be a full moon. Like, yep, they're all jacked up on that extra electricity. So are the parasites. So I really wasn't off base when I said they like to party during a full moon. But, you know, thinking about the water and all this, if you listen to the the podcast I did on metabolic water, you know that the water inside of our cells is meant to act like a battery of this electrical energy for our body. So when we think of all of this together, you know, the way the moon increases the electrical activity and the way that it impacts water, like all of that just makes sense to me, even if, you know, science doesn't think it's true. Um, But I did go and do some digging on, you know, like kind of what's happening in the with the earth and the moon um, during that time. So I'll give you a little technical explanation um, of what I found of, you know, why the, the earth is more electrical because of the moon. So when the moon is full, it passes into the earth's geomagnetic tail. And when the moon crosses into this region, 
the charged particles from the tail land on the moon's surface and temporarily give it a negative charge. And that negative charge accelerates other ions in the tail, creating a shift in the magnetic field that's felt on the surface of the Earth. Okay, nerd out, nerd out. Um, and of course, our bodies are receivers of electromagnetic signals and waves. That's why we have to be so mindful and why you hear about, you know, like the danger of um, EMFs, electromagnetic magnetic fields or non-native electromagnetic fields, like from our phones and our microwaves and our routers, they're all putting off these electrical fields and our body picks up those signals and that can affect our, the water in our body. Um, it affects our energy. It can drain our electrons, which most definitely um, affect our energy and just our overall health, right? Because our body runs on electrons. So that is the deal. And I can't tell you how I totally geeked out over learning that because it just completely jives with all of this quantum biology that I've studied. And, you know, for the most part is relatively unknown, ignored or, or poo-pooed, you know, whatever you want to call it by conventional health standards, you know, the same ones that are going to tell you there's no relationship between the moon and our cycle or the sun and our hormones. But to me, this is all about the way God made our body in relation to creation. And you know, it's my favorite thing to learn and to teach and to talk about here, or anywhere or to anyone who will listen. <laughs> we talk about it in the Genesis prescription. We talk a lot about it in the School of Christian Health and Nutrition. Um, which by the way, we are going to start cohort two in October. So yay, I get to teach a whole new crop of students about all of this and it just makes my day. Okay, so the other thing I discovered when I was doing some digging in the Cellcore Research Center is one reason parasites are more active during a full moon is that melatonin is naturally a little lower during a full moon, which makes sense. And that serotonin is a little higher and serotonin impacts parasitic behavior. They have serotonin receptors just like we do. And an increase in serotonin uh, for parasites helps increase their mobility. Um, it also helps them communicate better with each other. Okay. And one thing that parasites uh, do is try to de decrease neurotransmitters that inhab inhibit their activity. And so unfortunately, their interference with neurotransmitter activity impacts our neurotransmitter activity. And so this impacts our biology and the way that we think and the way that we feel. So this is one reason we want to make sure we don't have any infectious parasites because they can affect our neurotransmitter activity and the way our brain works or doesn't work. Okay, so let's go ahead and transition into more about parasites. And then we'll kind of circle back and bring it all together and talk about doing uh, the full moon cleanse and kind of lead into that. So the Greek translation of the word parasite is one that sits at another's table, which, you know, it just sounds lovely, right? Like you invited it over for dinner, <laughs> but that's not quite how it goes down. It's, you know, parasites like the uninvited guest who never leaves and eats you out of house and home because parasites steal nutrients from you. They, and they, they don't, they take, they don't give anything good back. You know, when we think about bacteria, um, the good bacteria in our bodies that we need to help us process our food and make vitamins, they're giving back to us, right? Like they're there, but they're also working on our behalf. And we have a symbiotic relationship with them. Parasites just take, 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 and they don't offer us nada. And in fact, they take things we need, like nutrients like iron 
You know, so just for instance, if you have chronic anemia, there's a chance that you might have a parasite stealing it. And that is one of those things that um, conventional health does, does not really consider as a possibility or look into. Now, our bodies are meant to be able to handle some parasites without trouble. You know, same with bacteria, same with viruses, right? Our body is meant to be able to handle some of these things. That's why we have immune systems. The problem is our inner terrain, you know, our gut, our immune system, just kind of the inner working of our body is so compromised that it allows these bad bacteria and viruses and parasites to thrive and become pathogenic, which means to create illness and disease. And so what weakens our terrain and makes parasites get stronger are toxins. We are exposed to an unreal amount of toxins in our modern world, chemicals and radioactive material and all of these things that our biblical ancestors, even our great grandparents weren't exposed to. So toxins not only make our inner terrain weaker and unable to keep these critters under control, the toxins make the the parasites, viruses and bacteria more harmful. They turn them into little monsters. That's called pleomorphing. I did a podcast about this called Toxins in Terrain, you know, and why germs aren't the problem. It's the toxins that make them all go crazy. And, you know, people who may have a higher toxic load or just a more compromised terrain in general respond worse when they encounter, you know, some of these bacteria and um, parasites and stuff. So that's why one person... Um, might get the flu or a stomach bug so much worse than another person or catch everything that comes around as their inner terrain is so compromised and they likely have a higher toxic load. So, you know, all of this can really make your immune system go haywire and can contribute to autoimmune conditions. Some might say even cause autoimmune conditions. So that's why you may have a sense that this whole parasite cleansing thing in general has been taken up a notch, like you're seeing more about it. And this is, um, this is why, you know, we just have more issue with handling them. Now, the toxins in our body create an environment that attract parasites that allow them to thrive. And so it's something that we have to be more aware of than say our, you know, our ancestors did is because our bodies um, just don't handle them as well. And parasites are everywhere. You know, they're in food, they're in water, they're in soil, they're on our pets, they're being sneezed out of people's noses, they pass between people. So often people think of parasites as only being in like third world countries. And yes, you, you know, may have some higher exposure there. But it's not like parasites don't, you know, cross borders. (laughs) You know, like, oh, here's the US border, we can't go in there. Uh, It's kind of like our border situation today, there is no border. Uh, believe me, I know because I live fairly close to one and it's a hot mess. But anyway, um, I heard a kind of an, a good analogy. Somebody said, you know, saying someone can't get parasites because they live in a clean, well-developed country is saying like people can't get colds because they have good hygiene. I mean, that's just not the case, right? You can have really good hygiene, but still get a cold, right? There are things that we can try to do to um, help prevent that and avoid it. But we we still get colds, even even though... <laughs> even though we clean. Okay, there are over, you know, 100 different species of parasites that can infect and affect our bodies. 
Most of them are microscopic. So, you know, only about 30% are visible to the naked eye, which means 70% are not. So when you do do a parasite cleanse, the chances of you seeing one are slim. And it's funny because that is a disappointment to some people and a relief to others. Some people get FOMO, you know, when they don't see any. The other thing is, and I've said this before, stool testing is not a 100% reliable um, way to assess for having parasites. Uh, for one, not all parasites live in the intestines. You know, those are the ones that get the most attention and, and can lead to, you know, IBS, colitis, Crohn's, you know, just digestive issues in general. But they also love the upper GI tract, the liver bile ducts, the pancreas. You know, they they can go. They, also, no, talking about no borders, they don't just live in your gut. They can live anywhere. And so, you know, let's think about something like being having a parasite in your pancreas. What does your pancreas do? It releases digestive enzymes so you can break down your food. What else does it do? It releases insulin so you can manage your blood sugar. So say you have a parasite in your pancreas. Well, that's going to throw a real monkey wrench into those functions, which can cause or contribute to your digestive problems, your weight problems, um, you know, in the liver and bile ducts. If you have parasites like liver flukes, you know, that can interfere with detoxification, with the way you break down and utilize fat and that will inhibit that, inhibit your, your quality of your bile flow. So parasites can go systemic. They can be in your muscles and your joints and your brain and your sinuses. You can have them from head to toe. And having a parasite wreaking havoc is considered a chronic infection. So any kind of chronic infection is very stressful to the body. It drags down the function of your mitochondria, you know, the energy makers in your body. And that makes your organs um, drag, you know, their functionality. And so that makes you drag, right? Because, I mean, if your cells can't make energy, your organs can't work, um, that means you're not going to work. Parasitic infections, especially foodborne ones, can be responsible for depression, anxiety, and even schizophrenia. Certain parasites negatively influence neurotransmitter pathways, which, you know, impact your dopamine, GABA, serotonin levels. So this obviously affects your mood and the way you feel and how you view the world. Parasites are sponges, for toxins and other things. You know, inside of parasites can be toxins, mold spores, lime, other viruses and bacteria, heavy metals, other infections can be inside of parasites. Parasites are kind of like a Trojan horse. And like I said other uh, earlier, they can eat up your iron and other important nutrients. I heard one of the cell core docs say that parasites love milk proteins. Um, and that a dairy allergy can actually be caused by a parasitic infection. So parasites eat that milk protein and they produce these toxic byproducts. That's the other thing. So parasites produce their own toxins, their own toxic byproducts. We can kind of think of it as like parasite poop. <laughs> so not only do we ingest toxins, the parasites and bacteria in our bodies also produce toxins that make us sick. And so what Dr. J was saying is that, you know, the parasite that likes to eat the milk protein, and then when it produces its toxic byproduct, the parasite poop, so to speak, and that that's actually what we're reacting to. But our brains and bodies equate that to a dairy allergy. Does that make sense? So when they eat the, they eat the, the dairy protein, they release their parasite toxin 
parasite poop. <laughs> and then our body equates that or um, correlates that with the dairy and the reaction with dairy. So it's kind of interesting. And, you know, I guess that could be the case with other foods, you know, that it's not necessarily the food, but the toxic byproduct that the parasites produce when it consumes that food. And that's what makes us sick. That's some crazy stuff, right? We've got to consider all these possibilities when we're talking about how to tackle our health issue. And what if you get a food sensitivity test that tells you you're sensitive to chicken, but it's the par parasite chicken poop. <laughs> That's actually the problem. So you're not really getting rid of the real problem until you get rid of the parasite. And that is the same for, you know, like Lyme disease or heavy metals. You got to kill the Trojan horse. And when we do, you know, parasites are releasing their toxins, the toxins they're harboring, and it's a lot, which is why doing these cleanses can make you feel yuck. You know, these toxins get released into um, our body. They get released into the interstitial fluid that surrounds the tissue cells and then travel to the lymphatic system, which filters the body's waste, you know, and then they head to the spleen and the lymph nodes and the liver to be further filtered out and then sent to the the other drainage pathways like the bladder and the colon and the kidneys um, and even the breath and the skin. So the problem is, especially if somebody's chronically ill, some of these detoxification organs can be blocked. And so if you're, if first of all, you know, if you can't detoxify properly, if you can't drain properly, this means the toxins will recirculate in the body as they're trying to be detoxified or, or released out. And that's what can make these die-off symptoms just feel so horrible. And it's one reason that it's important to work on drainage before detox. You know, I have a podcast about that because you don't want to push parasites and toxins out. You don't want to be taking stuff like eradication agents and things that kill stuff if they can't get out of your body. But sometimes parasites are the thing causing the drainage problem. Um, like if you have liver flukes interfering with your liver and bile duct. So those have to be addressed, but we have to open up as much of the drainage as possible. And so we also want to use a binder. You know, when we're doing a cleanse like this, a binder is going to help mop up some of those toxins more readily so that they can be more efficiently taken out of the body. Now, the thing is, parasites aren't so easy to get rid of. They have amazing survival mechanisms. They're very resilient. They can handle a lot of assault. They just don't die easily. Herbs are the most effective way to kill parasites. There are specific herbal combinations that do a really nice job. Where do herbs come from? They come from plants. Who made plants? God. You know, it's like God has provided these things that uh, we need um, from nature. It makes me think of that verse from Ezekiel 47, 12 that's talking about plants. And it says, their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. So God provides all of these good things that we need in nature. Um, and the good thing about these herbs is that they kill parasites, but they're also good for killing bacteria and fungi and viruses. They offer some broad spectrum coverage. Plus, they can help shift the body's terrain, you know, making it less toxic, making it a less hospitable environment for parasites and other pathogens to hang out and grow fat like a tick. Uh, but like I said, they are not easy to kill because they hide. Uh, they lay eggs like a roundworm can lay like 20, 200,000 eggs in a day, grody. And then, you know, those take a while to hatch. So there, there's these different phases of, 
of, you know, parasites, you know, so a good thorough parasite protocol is going to last at least three to four months because you have to kill them off in layers and phases, you know, and go deeper as you kill off those, you know, the ones that are there and then the ones that are hatching and the eggs and you just kind of have to go deeper and deeper. Um, and the, and the deeper you go, uh, you get those ones that are harder to kill. You just, you got to keep pressure on them and flush them out, you know, like kill, kill the new crop and you have to be steadfast about it. So all that to say, that's why you don't start with a full moon cleanse. Yeah, you might kill some off and it's a good time to catch them because they're more active, but it's just not really long enough to do, you know, long lasting good. You want to do at least one long, thorough cleanse like we do with the cell core four month foundational protocol and then do a full moon cleanse for like maintenance. You know, that's how I recommend to do it. I just think jumping into a full moon cleanse willy nilly can make you feel really bad and not be all that effective. I mean, I, I think, you know, they'll, they'll be somewhat effective, but not as not what you're thinking. You know, you're not going to get in there and kill everything off and, um, you know, three or five or seven days, which is what we would do in a full moon cleanse. Um, I think they're great to target as part of a seasonal cleanse. So what we're doing in the Christian Health Club is anyone who has been through the foundational protocol and wants to work these full moon cleanses in, we're going to do one in the fall and in the spring. You could certainly do them more often. You could do them quarterly, but uh, that's what we're that's how we're going to do it for now. One in the fall, one in the spring. And I love this because in September we're going to do it around the harvest full moon. And that is about a week after the fall equinox. Uh, so, you know, I love, I love those transitional times of each season. Uh, so we'll kind of be lumping all that together and then we'll do it again in March, which that moon, that full moon is actually called the full warm moon. So that's kind of perfect. Um, and that's about a week after the spring equinox. And oh my gosh, y'all, have y'all heard about the, the total solar eclipse that's happening next April that made me think of it since... We're going to do the full moon cleanse um, March at the end of March, but then there's going to be a total solar eclipse on April 8th in 2024. I think the last one was in 2017 and the next one won't be until August 2044. So like 20 years from now, a total solar eclipse happens when the moon passes between the sun and the earth and completely blocks the face of the sun. So the sky will get dark like it, you know, as if it was dawn or dusk. It's kind of crazy. And where we are, where I live is very near the path of totality, which is kind of the pathway that allows you to see the whole effect of it. Now the town next to us, and when I say next to us, I mean like 55 miles away, it's right there on the path of totality. And so there have been hotel rooms and things booked for months and months already there and there that town is like bracing for the crazy influx of people that are going to come um to watch the the total eclipse um at that time it's going to get really crazy around here anyway that's just kind of a little side note kind of interesting and maybe we'll talk about it more when that time gets closer any excuse to talk about the sun and the sun makes me happy but I sure did like talking about the moon today and the little critters that like to come out and play during a full moon. So to wrap it up, I think, you know, full moon cleanses are definitely useful. 
but not until you've done a more complete protocol first. And I'm about to take a new detox group through the foundational protocol. If you want to join us and get that under your belt, um, we are going to start, um, you know, September, but really you can, you can get started as soon as you get your supplements. So it is, it is time if you're going to join us to go ahead and order step one of the supplements, which is energy and drainage. And we will have a zoom meeting on September 12th and um, I'll put all that information in the show notes. All right, my friend, don't forget to go out there and be a super moon, a super bright light for Jesus. Thanks for listening. I hope you have a healthy and blessed week and I will talk to you soon. Remember that my mom is an awesome nutritionist, but she's not a doctor. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Always talk to your doctor before making changes to your nutrition or exercise program. Thanks for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week.